Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Grateful for the men and women who serve this country and the various armed forces uh, to keep us safe and able to worship and share uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you all again for your service. Um, if you have your Bibles, I would that you would turn to the book of Luke. Um, as you know, we are walking through a series called Liberated through the gospel of Luke. Um, and we've been camped out for the last few months in Luke chapter 6, uh, looking at the Sermon on the Plain. Um, and so I'm actually going to circle back to one verse. Um, that I, I read last week, but I treated uh, matters such as judgment um, and condemnation and these other things last week. Um, but I want to circle back to one verse that I read last week, uh, but I did not treat. I did not do an exposition on. So I just want to do an exposition on worst, one verse today, um, and that's on Luke chapter 6, verse 38. So if you were standing together in honor of God's word as we read this one verse together, and I preach for a few moments. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Here's what Jesus said. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You may have your seats. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise within your word. God, thank you for the goodness and the generosity that you have shown to us in Christ. God, may we, um, in kind, in turn, as those who are called your people, show that generosity uh, to others and live out of a heart knowing that you have given us everything that we need. So we pray that you will speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today I just want to live for a few moments the thought, Christ's call for comprehensive generosity. Christ's call for comprehensive generosity. Um, so, you know, the verse I just read, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your lap. And some of y'all, when y'all read that, y'all was like, I ain't been to church since COVID. And I show up on a Sunday when he's talking about giving. Lord, how did this happen? <laughs> if any day it was to utilize the live stream on YouTube, this was the day. Uh, <laughs> but... Here we are, a message on giving. I will say this, I've been the lead pastor here at what is now Refreshed Community Church, formerly the Journey Hanley Road for over uh, five years, about five and a half years. I've actually never preached on giving before um, in five and a half years. Um, it's not because I've been avoiding the topic, uh, it's just that you know we preach uh, sequential exposition book by book, and in the books we've treated, it's just not been a big theme. Uh, but one of the reasons that I wanted us to turn towards a gospel is because Jesus talks about giving generosity and money a lot. Um, he does not shy away from it. He ain't nervous about it. He ain't skittish about it. Um, and that's fascinating for a dude who actually spent uh, the last three of his years uh, wandering around without tons of wealth. Um, that he chose to treat this topic um, of generosity. And so um, if you are like, you know, you're sitting here, you're listening to me, you're kind of like, oh, man, what is Carlos going to say? Is he going to go full prosperity gospel today? What are we about to do? Uh, what's about to happen? I would say buckle up because I got 78 principles of generous giving. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I only got 57. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> no, but really, like seriously, like this topic, as I, as I prepared and, and was looking at this message, one of the things that uh, really grieved me as I began to look at it is that many of us do have uh, concerns and trepidations and just kind of unease about talking about matters of giving generosity and finances in church because we have all experienced so many abuses. Um, we've heard so many abuses. Um, if you have logged on to Christian television, you have seen and experienced abuses, and you have heard people um, who line their pockets um, based on abuses of this verse, actually, um, and scriptures like it. And it's fascinating. You know, when I was a teenager, um, I went to a church that was very health and wealth driven. Uh, and what was fascinating to me uh, was that uh, the, 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 the bishop often talked about the importance of giving, and it was one of them churches where after service, You'd have a $100 line and a $50 line and a $500 line. I mean, it was, it was, we was out there. It was only one Bentley in the parking lot, though. Um, it was only one. And I was talking to somebody recently, uh, and it was, uh, I was talking, uh, and he was saying, he heard someone say that if this idea of giving him my money and it multiplying works so well, why doesn't he just come to church and pass out all of his money? Um, <laughs> if this is what works so well. Um, but I, I just say all this to say that we have seen so much in the 20th century, and our generation, particularly mine, I'm a millennial, um, and the generation under mine, Generation Z, we've seen and experienced a lot. But here is my heart today as I walk through a few foundational principles that are locked in this text, and I actually don't have 70 or 50 points. I actually only got two. I think Jesus says a couple things in this verse um, that I believe sets the trajectory for the rest of the book. My hope today is that we will not allow the um, abuses of a few uh, deceitful men, uh, a few hucksters, a few people, because y'all do know that these uh, prosperity jokers and these uh, people who abuse these texts, they are not the majority of Christian pastors. I just want to say at one time, like the majority, y'all just need to know this, most pastors, pastor of church of 100 people are, or less, and are bivocational, many of whom are paying to preach. Um, and so I just want to say that because I think there's this urban legend that preachers are just out here for your money and that the majority of them got private jets. I ain't got no private jet. I, I was on, I, I'd be flying like when I really am brave, I'll fly spirit, like when I'm just really trusting Jesus. <laughs> When I just, when I really know God is sovereign, I hop on frontier. Like, you know, when I, when I start trusting a man, I fly Delta. But like, you know, I, I, ain't, I ain't never set foot on a private jet. Like, we, we get nervous about this because, you know, for those of you who are worried, is Carlos just trying to get money out of me? I don't drive a Bentley. If you want to know, I drive a Honda, and I'm nervous about the Kia boys and the fact that I don't have a club on it, okay? Like... Like, this is not something that, you know, I'm, I'm out here just like, yo, let me get more out of you, um, nor do I think the majority of pastors actually are. But I do believe, and I, my, my desire for you today is that you will see the promises of Christ in the scripture related to these matters and take hold of them and not allow the lies and the deceits of the enemy to push you out of the very real promises of God for you and your finances. Um, and so I'm going to dig into a few things today, and, and, and what I would like to suggest to you um, and my issue, actually, primarily with the prosperity gospel and people who appropriate this type of message, is that when you actually look at the teachings of Jesus, it's actually not radical enough. You see, we actually look at the prosperity guys and the guys with their private jets and their Bugattis and their Bentleys and the people who are asking you for a love offering at your own expense, and we think that that is radical teaching. But I would say there is nothing radical about greed and materialism. It's actually very earthy, expected, and in step with the culture in which we live in. 
What's radical is this idea, and back to the title of my message, Christ's Call for Comprehensive Generosity, is that Jesus is not just calling you for your money and for your finances. He is calling for every dime that you have in every cell and molecule of your body to be subject to his lordship. You see, what Jesus says is that I want it all. And so what Jesus calls us to is comprehensive generosity. How do I get this from the text? I'm going to start, and I'm just going to look at this one word, and I want us to look at the overall context. I would submit to you that in this context that Jesus gets to money, and he talks about our finances and things like our material goods, but he actually starts with calling us to give all of ourselves. Notice in verse 38, the first word there is give, and he never defines it. He just says, give, and it will be given to you. But if you look at the greater context, you'll see that Jesus has just kind of, he kind of gets to your money later. He gets to other stuff. The first time he tells you to give is actually in verse 27 when he says, love your enemies. He says, I want you to give yourself to loving people that hate you. He says in verse 28 of chapter 6, I want you to give your cheek to be struck because I want you to give up your right to revenge. I want you to give up your right to avenging yourself. I want you to give mercy in verse 36 to those who don't deserve it. I want you to give love and grace and give up your right to judgment and give up your right to providing for your own dignity and things like that and fully trust God. What I would suggest to you is that Jesus is called to give when we, by the time we get to money and resources and material things, that it's actually the easier ask. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that we, you know, we already did the sermon on turn the other cheek. It's like, Jesus, you want me to let people smack me or do you want to check? I just write the check. It's easier. It's, it's frankly easier. Like, what's, what's your cash app, Jesus? Because I'm not going to be getting smacked up. This is insane. Jesus actually says, look at this, love your enemies. Look at this, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. The whole point here, and this is my premise for this whole message, is that Jesus is calling us to radical, self-giving generosity that is not less than our money, but is much, much more than our finances. And so here's the reality. Here's how it works, people of God. If Jesus has all of you, your checkbook will follow. I once had a pastor who said, and, and it's true, I've, I've, I've been pastoring for a little bit now, and I've wrestled through this. Um, here's the reality. He said that if Jesus has your sexuality and your pocketbook, he has all of you. Think about it for a moment. What is the primary way that our culture is defining personhood today? Sexuality and orientation. He says if he has your sexuality and he has your pocketbook, what is the idol of America and this whole country? We live in a meritocracy because we like money. We not, the, the, one of the reasons that, that uh, racism is, is, is taking these different forms is because nowadays the new racism is classism and economy. It's like, hey, look, I'll give you whatever you can buy. I don't care if you're green. Like, you know, nobody was really worried about when they thought they had found aliens because if the aliens can get with the program and make some money happen, that's fine. We'll rock with them too. It really doesn't matter because in our culture, if you can, the, the, the things that become idols for people are sexuality and materialism. And Jesus says that I want control of all of it. And so <clears throat> what we see in this text 
Jesus is defining his community. We can't miss that this community is defined. Notice what he says. He says, give, and it shall be given back to you. He says, I want you to give. He defines it over against being judgmental. He says, don't judge. I don't want you to judge. Don't condemn. I don't want you to condemn. I don't want you to be these hateful, bitter, condemning, judgmental people. I want to contrast that with you being a giving people, a generous people who gives of yourself, who gives of your time, of your talent, of your treasure, of your affections, your energies, your resources, everything about you is open to the world that you live in and to those around you. Check this out, because you are part of the Messianic community. In other words, you are identifying as those who are known by Christ and are known as those who are followers of Jesus. And so Jesus says, I want you to look something like me. Here's the reality. Jesus himself, just think about this for a moment. Jesus himself is, has been, forever will be God. He gives up all his privilege, comes to earth, hangs out here for 33 years. For 30 of those years, he works a blue-collar job. He was, a, he was basically, we say carpenter, kind of like a construction worker. The last three years of his life, he says, Birds of the air have nests, and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he did all of that, according to Romans chapter 5, for a group of people that hated him. You see, the Bible says that while we were still enemies of God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He says that I am the generous God, I am the generous Messiah, and rather than come as the conquering king, I come as the king who gives up his kingdom, lays down his life, gives up my privileges for people who don't even like me, and then he says to us, go and do likewise. And so when we start thinking about the way that we ought to live in our time, the way we ought to give of ourselves, God, God gave us a lifetime of his gifting, of his presence with us. He's given us an eternity of who he is and his talent and in his treasure. The Bible says that he has lavished all the riches and glory on us. And he says, as those who identify as those who are called to walk with him, I expect you to do the same. The question is, is what stops us? What stops us from doing this? Not just what stops us from giving and writing checks and all that stuff, because um, I want to say, and I want to acknowledge real quick, we just celebrated, uh, Refresh Community Church, that you all in one offering, one offering, y'all gave $25,000 to pay for a down payment for a family, for for someone who was in need, and we've been able to help them put a down payment on the house, get a washer and a dryer and do all these things. So please don't hear me like browbeating you for not being generous. I'm actually just doing what Paul says to to the Corinthians in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, you've already excelled in this gift. I'm just trying to get you to go a little deeper in what God is calling you to. And so please don't hear this as like, oh, man, I'm I'm guilty. What's happening here? But when I start thinking about what helps, what stops us at times for going as far as God would call us to go is that sometimes we don't know if God is going to come through on his promises. At at the end of the day, what this turns on, you know, I talked about the prosperity pimps and all that stuff and the people who get over on you. I would hope by now um, that y'all would just, like, hope I'm not that guy by now. Like, I've been around a while. You know, you've gotten to know our elders and stuff. I would just hope that y'all would know our character. And if you're still tired of kicking, I'm here to tell you, not that guy. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, That's not how we roll. But... Ultimately, sometimes we can blame those people for it is actually a lack of trust in what God has promised. 
You see, God has said that even if you ain't got it in your bank account, you have to trust that I got it in mine, that I really do own the cattle on a thousand hills, that even if your, uh, your brokerage account isn't performing the way you would like, your portfolio isn't looking the way you would want to, even if inflation is knocking some things back and the gas prices won't let you get ahead the way you want to, that my God is riches and houses and land and that he is a good, good father who is willing to lavish his goodness on us and that there is plenty in his storehouse. You see, we sing, we will tear the church up singing Jira. Y'all know what Jira means? Like we, we go in, you, Jira, you are, just mascara running. We say we believe that God is the provider and we sing about it, we cry about it, we love singing. It just sounds good. I mean, they did their thing on an arrangement, like, you know what I mean? But do we actually live like we believe it? When God says that I want you to give above and beyond what, I, what it seems to be reasonable, do you believe that even if you ain't got it, I got it? You see, I, 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 my, my question is do we trust that God is actually good to us? And I would argue that some of us are nervous, some of us struggle with greed, some of us struggle with materialism, some of us may even struggle um, with matters uh, of, 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 of dishonesty and things around finances because we are nervous that we are going to end up in lack and without, and it's because we don't trust that God desires and even delights to provide for us. And so what I would like to push us towards today is a radical trust in God that he is good, that he is willing to provide, and that he is enough. So I believe that Jesus just gives us this call. And look, it's an imperative. He says, give. Forget about what the prosperity pimp says. Forget about all these other things. Forget about your in inhibitions. He says, I, as the Christ of God, have given you a commandment to be generous. And God says that I want you to trust in who I am, trust that I really am the provider, and don't do me like Equifax do you and give me a negative credit score. You see, y'all know what a credit score is, right? If you're over 18, you have a credit score. Now, it ain't my job to judge how high or how low it is. That's between you and Credit Karma. But listen, here's how a credit score works. Based on past and current behavior around your finances, they basically judge you and decide whether or not you can be trusted with more credit and more money. Um, and so they may or may not be accurate about that. I don't know. Depends on how you behave. I wasn't there. Um, but we do God the same way. And some of us have actually given God a low transunion score. We, we actually look at God and we pretend like he hasn't met our needs. We look at God and we say, God, I'm not willing to give and be generous as you have called me to because I have this uncommon fear that you won't provide it for me. And yet we are sitting here. You might not have on the clothes that you want. It might not be Versace. You might not be wearing Balenciagas. But God has said, I have clothed you. I have fed you. I have put food on your table. I've come through in the midnight hour. How dare you judge me as unworthy of being generous towards and so I would like to push us in a way and encourage us in a way that we trust God with every aspect of our being, our time, our talent, and yes, even our treasure. And so I believe that God has given us a call for comprehensive generosity, and he just gives us one quick imperative, give. He doesn't define it. He says, I want all of you. And so not only does he say, I want all of you, um, but then he goes on to say, because he's nice, he says, I'm going to give you a call for comprehensive generosity, but then I'm going to give you a promise. This is point number two. I'm almost done. I'm going to give you a promise of divine reciprocity. Look how gracious he is. Give, look at this, and it will be given to you. Good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Look here. This is Jesus, y'all. As strong as the imperative is to give, equally as strong is the promise that it will be given to you. And for my seminary folks who like to do Greek, this is what you would call a divine passive. It's in a passive tense. And what a divine passive says is that it will be given to you. By who? By God. It's going to be given to you. And look at this. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Look, you ain't even got to know a whole lot to know that that's a lot. Okay? <laughs> Ain't got to know a whole lot, don't need no degrees, ain't got to go to seminary. But those of you who are into that, I'll give you some info. This language here in these verses speaks to the process of measuring out corn. You like corn, don't you? It's the season of candy corn. Just imagine it's candy corn. This, I like candy corn. People who don't like candy corn, probably the same people that don't like pumpkin spice latte. And I'm not here for you, okay? I'm going to I'm share something with y'all. And this is a rabbit that I'm chasing, but hey, here we are. Just going to give y'all something real quick. I'm just going to give y'all a moment of transparency. Now, don't y'all use this against me. I'm a, I'm a brother. I'm a black man, if you didn't know. I'm, I'm African-American. But I fools with pumpkin spice everything, okay? And this is, our, this is our time to rise up. That's right. Breaking these stereotypes. That's right. <laughs> I, 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 ain't, I ain't no shade to, to sweet potato. I know my roots and my culture, but I, I started pastoring a diverse church and got introduced to pumpkin. I'm like, hey, this is right too. Shoot. I'm not going to allow the enemy to separate me from my Anglo brothers who've been, <laughs> been cultivating pumpkins all these years. But anyway, I'm sorry. This has, that had nothing to do with the message. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is not candy corn. This is actual corn, okay? That's how I got over there. Uh, but... <laughs> But the imagery here is of measuring out corn and is carried out in this pattern here. And the seller would crouch on the ground with the measure between his legs. And first of all, he would feel the measure three quarters full, give it a good shake in a rotation motion to make sure that all the grains go down. And then he would fill it to the top and he would shake it again. And then he would fill it up and then he would push it down. And he would make sure that not one ounce of corn could be lost. That he fills it up over and over and over again. And then he would pour it into the lap of the seller in the corner of their robe so that it was as much as humanly possible. And people of God, do not let the abuse of a few rob you of this promise from God that God says, if you are open-handed with me, I will be open-handed with you. And it will be more than you can experience, more than you can take in, more than you are able to receive. This is the Bible, y'all. This ain't prosperity, God. This ain't TBN. This is Jesus. It's in red letters. If you got an old school Bible, this is Jesus's promise to his people. And we get scared of this because we're so scared that we're going to mess around and do something. Look, look, don't, don't, don't be worried. Look, this is the whole testimony of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 9 says this. The point is this. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But look at this promise. This is Paul. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Proverbs 3 and 8, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Don't, don't even get me started with Deuteronomy 28. I get so mad at Hebrew Israelites. They want to read everything in Deuteronomy, but this, this is the good stuff right here in Deuteronomy 28. Listen to what God says. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Fred Hammond made a whole song about it. He says, Blessed shall you be in the 
city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed you will be when you come in and go out. Blessed shall you be when you abound in prosperity and the fruit of your womb. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. And you shall lend to many nations and you shall not, uh, shall not borrow. People of God, this is the promise of Scripture. Look, God says, look, I, I delight. I'm, I'm a good, good father. I delight to give my people good things. And, you know, talking about God's hands heaping over more, being bigger than our own. You know, I told you all about many of my places of employment. You know, I told you how I worked in juvenile detention, worked at, uh, I haven't worked a lot of places. I haven't had a lot of jobs. We had coffee. I just didn't have a lot of random jobs. One of them, one of my favorite places, I don't know, fa- yeah, it's probably one of my favorite. Um, I worked at Taco Bell for many years of my life. Um, throughout high school, a little bit after college, it took me a few years. Don't feel bad if you like trying to figure out what you're doing with your life. It took me a few years. I worked at Taco Bell for like a few years right after high school, trying to figure it out. I uh, was almost a manager, but kind of fell off a little bit in the taco, taco industry. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I remember working at Taco Bell. Uh, and I remember when I first started working there, uh, by the way, Taco Bell is one of the cleanest fast food and eating establishments that you eat at, okay? I worked at McDonald's too. I'll just tell you that Taco Bell is one of the cleanest, <laughs> you know. We don't know what the media is, but that's okay. Don't worry about that. Um, anyhow, I started working at Taco Bell as a teenager, high school. This was my dream job, okay? I had loved Taco Bell since I was a child. I steal food with Taco Bell. I know. I just came back from Mexico. I know what real tacos is. Ain't nobody worry about all that. We love Taco Bell. Mexican pieces. Do y'all know how hard I cried when they took away Mexican pieces? Broke my heart. So glad they brought them back. Anyhow, I'm working at Taco Bell. I'm there. And so this was my dream job. Y'all have to know that I always have big vision and high aspirations because in my mind, I was going to transform the industry of Taco Bells because finally, I had the power to make tacos as they had always been destined to be made. You see, I was never quite happy when I received my own tacos because I was like, I just feel like this could have more meat and cheese in it. This just could be a bigger taco. This ain't big enough. This ain't enough. And so I had the power. I was on the line. I was making the tacos now. That's right. (laughs) No one could stop me. These tacos that I made was thick, boy. I was, I was like, ah, ah. I was making a nachos bell brownie, putting the cheese on. I was like, mm, ah, these the biggest mo-. And I was thrilled. I mean, I'm sure they didn't have Google reviews at this point, but I'm guaranteed five stars at my local Taco Bell, okay? Guaranteed. Eventually, what I didn't know was that they had these ways to track, based on how many tacos they sold that day, what, how much meat should have gone out. And it was called Variance. Found out, they was like, Carlos, my manager called me on it. Manager said, Carlos, it seems like every day that you work, the Variance is way off. <laughs> say it, what you mean? Based on these amount of items, we should have gone through this much meat. We've gone through, through like an extra couple few boxes fooling around you. What are you doing back there? Um, she said, she said, Carlos, she's a little lady. She said, Carlos, you're too heavy-handed with the food. Got to, you know, calm down. They're throwing our, throwing our profits off. And I said, ma'am, what do you mean I'm too heavy-handed? She's like, you're too heavy-handed. You got to make it according to what we just showed you how to make. I say, ma'am, I have big hands. I can't help it. Okay? <laughs> and here... Here's my point. I had, to, I had to concur with my manager because I wanted to keep my $6.50 an hour job at that time in high school. But let me tell y'all something about God. God is heavy-handed with the blessings. And, and he pours it out. 
And, and he says that I, I, want to, I want to bless you in ways that you can't fathom. But it's an old saying that God can't put more in your hand if your hand is closed. And God is saying, son or daughter of God, I want you to open your hand so I can put more in it. And I guarantee you that my hands are bigger than yours. I want to heap blessings and abundance and, and prosperity. I want to give it to you, child of God. And so... You know, I was reading this text, and then it's this next part here that says, for with the measure you use, this, this is frightening, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we're talking about giving, and a common question I have gotten is, must Christians tithe? Um, I told y'all this is my first message on giving, so I'm going to try to do some ground clearing. I ain't going to try to fix it all, because y'all do know uh, that Jesus is going to talk about a lot more about giving throughout the book of Luke, so it won't be our last time. But I did want to answer this question um, because, you know, should a Christian tithe? And so, um, you know, I, 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 I wrestle with this because um, here's what I would say to y'all about tithing. Tithing is a concept that is introduced uh, prior to the Mosaic Law. Uh, there are those who say you shouldn't tithe because it's under the Mosaic Law, um, and it is under Mosaic Law. In fact, under Mosaic Law, Mosaic Law was a lot like the American government. It wasn't just one tithe, it was three, so it came out to about 33%. Um, so, you know, there you go. There, there it is, three times um, under Mosaic Law. Uh, but tithing does not make its first appearance under the Mosaic Law. It stars, it makes its first appearance um, in the life of Abraham as he encountered this guy by the name of Melchizedek, or as we would say in my neighborhood, Melchizedek, um, the king of righteousness. And the king of righteousness, Melchizedek, or Melchizedek as the homies call him, um, was the king of Shalom, of Salem, of Jerusalem. That is this guy. He was the king of righteousness, king of peace. And so he encounters Abraham. He pops out of nowhere, according to Hebrews, with no genealogy, no information on this guy. And when Abraham encounters him, he gives him a tenth of everything that he owns to show his gratitude for God's deliverance power in judgment on the wicked in the inhabitants of the land. Not only do we encounter tithing there, but we also encounter tithing in the life of Jacob. That Jacob, I like Jacob, he's one of my favorite people, because he was raggedy in a mess, and yet he understood that even in his messiness, God had been good to him. So he says, God, if you're good to me, I'll give you a tenth of everything that I own. And God was good to him. And you sure enough know what Jacob did? He gave God a tenth. And so, as those who are called the seed of Abraham, according to Galatians, those who are the inheritors of the new covenant, I don't think it's off base um, that we as the people of God tithe or give a tenth of all that we own to the high priest who is ordained after the order of Melchizedek, who is Jesus the Savior. This is according to the book of Hebrews. Um, and so, all that to say, do I think that the New Testament mandates that we give 10%? I don't think I can say to you um, that if you don't give 10% according to this chapter of verse in the New Testament, I don't think I would be reading scripture honestly. Um, I do think scripture actually says to us that our giving should be representative of what we bring to the table. And I think 10% based on a scriptural principle is a great place to start off of the example that we see in Abraham and Jacob. So there's that. I'm, I'm open to questions and dialogue around that. But here is what I'm actually a little more concerned about than should you give 10%. I'm actually more concerned about the question. I'm going to tell you why. I actually think we ask this question because what we're actually asking is what is the least amount can I give and still be straight with God? <laughs> and I've already told you, I've already told you that Jesus wants it all. 
Like 100%. Listen, he meets the, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was not an established member of the Messianic community. Jesus meets this guy, hey, want to follow you, love you. He's like, good, sell everything you got, come follow me. And he say, huh, you heard me, didn't stutter. Sell everything you got, come follow me, be in, be in complete poverty. It's great out here. And, and the dude left sad. He would have, if Jesus had told, listen, this man was an Orthodox Jew, had uphold in his mind the whole law. And if Jesus had said, give a tenth, or even if he said, give all three of the tithes, give 33%, he would have did it. Jesus says, I want it all. And so here is what I would lay before you. If you're wrestling with whether or not to give 10%, at the end of the day, I do think based on scripture, it is a good place to start and a good reference point. I personally tithe me and my household because I love the heart of Jacob when he says that, God, if you give to me, if you, you keep me in my, all my mess, I will give you this out of dedication. That is why I tithe because I'd have been a hot mess and God has been really good to me. And so I, I like, I, like, can I be honest with y'all? I love tithe. Because God has been that faithful to me, and I started from, I didn't been from the gutter to the butter. So I just, I know what poverty and food stamps look like. I will cheerfully give God a tenth because he didn't have to be as good to me as he has been. But, but here's what I would say to you. I think you need to, you know, Paul, he writes a whole treatise on it in uh, first and second, in uh, second Corinthians uh, 9 and 10. And he says, listen, you need to give us purpose in your heart. But let me just read to you what Jesus says in this one verse at the end of verse 38. The measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you want God wrangling over whether he should bless you on your gross or over your net, fine, give that way. If you want God to wrangle over whether, well, if he just going, I'm just going to give him 10% of this blessing. I'm only giving eight. Or I'm only giving, if that's the conversation you want Yahweh having on himself, have at it. As for me and my house, I'm going to give as God has called me to give. And for some of us, at certain times, 10% might be a stretch goal for you. 5% might be a stretch for you. 1% might be a stretch depending on where you are. And for some of y'all, you would be sinning if you only gave 10%. Because God has been so good to you that you could give 90 and live off 10 and so I don't want to take the weight of God's call and God's mandate off of you. God says, listen, I, have, I want it all. And you give according to that. Take that, deal with that in your own life. So <laughs> at this point, some of you may be wondering, Carlos, how is this not the prosperity gospel? Because you didn't say give and he'll give back to me. God's going to bless me. He's going to give me prosperity. But some of us ain't prosperous. Some of us broke. Some of us are suffering. Carlos, how do you square all of those realities and the fact that you are not a prosperity gospel and not just saying this because you want to enrich yourself? How do you square that with this text? Easy. It's a very small two-letter word in the verse, and it's the word it. You see it? He says give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, press down, shake together, running over. We put it to your lap. Question is, what is it? He doesn't say. You see, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say that I'm a cosmic slot machine and that I'm like your investment portfolio and that if you put this amount in, you're guaranteed a 10% return on everything that you give Yahweh. You see, Yahweh works overtime throughout the scripture to make sure that you know that he cannot be manipulated by sacrifices, by giving, by incantations. It's the reason why he say, don't do vain repetitions. I don't like that. You're not going to conjure me to do anything. Think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and they're jumping up and down, cutting themselves, bleeding all over the altar, and nothing happens. God says, I won't be manipulated. I am Lord, you're not. So he says, give, 
because I've commanded it to you. Give is an imperative, and it will be given back to you. Who defines it? God does. So God may so choose. Listen, God may choose to make it rain in your life. God may choose to make you a multimillionaire. God may choose to give you abundance. God may choose to give you a new Bugatti. So put 28s on it. If God bless you that way, amen, hallelujah, thank God for it. But God may say, I'm not going to bless you with money, but I'm going to bless you with the things that money can't buy. Because some of my, and I got some rich folks in here that will tell you, money don't fix everything. There are some things that no matter how many millions you have, you can't buy peace with God. You can't buy restoration with God. You can't buy transformation in your life. You cannot buy the new heavens and the new earth. You can't buy spiritual power. God says, give with generosity and I will bless you as my heart see fit. And it will be according to my will and it will be according to your good. But I won't be manipulated. You see what God says. It's that I'm a good God, and I will bless you as, as, as what makes sense for you. For some of us, let's just be honest, some of us would lose our mind if we was rich. Man, I might be one of those people. I could be. I don't know. I've never been rich. I've been asking God to, like, let me find out, though. Like, I'm like, <laughs> like hey, God, let me find out. I don't know. Well, I feel like I'm a good candidate. I'm like, Lord, I got, like, five elders, a pastor, a counselor. If I wild out, I got a lot of people that can, you know, get me together. Like, just take a risk, Jesus. But anyway, uh, <laughs> take a risk, Lord. Like, like you, it's no real risk for Jesus. You sovereign, God. Just like, you can just thump me on the head and it's over. It's over. Uh, but, but not really. Like, God is saying to us that I've given you what you need. I've provided for you, and you have to know that even if you don't have it in your bank account, I got it in mine. I, you know, one, one of the things that I wonder about is how much anxiety uh, the children of your favorite billionaire have. You know, I, I wonder. You know, Jay-Z is a billionaire. I wonder how anxious about her future Blue Ivy is. I don't know. When Jay-Z and Beyonce is your mom, she's, I don't know. I wonder how anxious, you know, Elon Musk or, or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates' kids are about their future. Probably not much. And all of these people are flawed, fallible, sinful human beings. And yet their children live in peace. Our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and promises that he will provide, even if our bank account don't look like it right now, even if we don't know how our financial situation is going to shake out, God says, I will give you everything that you need. Will you trust me enough to relinquish your poverty mentality and give as I have called you to give? And so, brothers and sisters, I'm done. I want to encourage us today. At the end of the day, when we think about giving and generosity, it's all about trusting our God. And he says, I have demonstrated my love for you. I've, he went above and beyond something that money can buy. He gave himself. He put down all his privilege. You don't get a whole lot more wealthy and privileged than being a God of the whole universe receiving worship from angels. He put it to the side. He came on earth, lived for 33 years. 30 of those, he just had a regular, smegular job. A carpenter. A person who worked with his hands. In three years, he wandered with nowhere to lay his head. And he did all that for you and for me. And so he says, I don't call you to do anything that I have not done. And he redeems us through the power of the cross. And then those same riches and glory that he put down so that he can incarnate himself, the Bible says he lavishes on us. 
He gives to us. And here's the reality. Regardless of what our financial situation looks like today, in the new heaven and the new earth, God says the meek, that's those of us who know Jesus, shall inherit, check this out, the earth. He says, listen, at the end of the day, Paul says all things are yours. And so my invitation to you is trust God. Trust that God will do everything that he said he would do. That he will provide for you. That you don't have to have a scarcity poverty mentality because your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's a good, good father who delights to give you good gifts. Let's pray. God, we thank you. And we praise you. Because you do call us to generosity. But God, you call us to generosity because you have already gone above and beyond giving radical, outrageous generosity. God, not just because you gave us material things, God, and you've given us literally all of the material things. You've given us the terra firma under our ground. You've given us the sky. You've given us breath in our body. You've put food on our table. God, you are the great provider. You are Jireh. And God, you call us as a result to trust your providence, to trust that you're not going to leave us that you're not going to abandon us, that even in the face of suffering and scarcity, that God, you are the God who owns all things and you will provide for us. Father, I pray that you will multiply our faith and our trust in you, that we won't be afraid to give, that we won't be afraid to support the work of ministry, that we won't be afraid to support those who are vulnerable because we're scared that we're going to lack. God, you promised that those who trust in you will lack no good thing. God, embolden our hearts today to trust you even with our finances. And not just with our finances, but also with our time and our time. Thank you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of worship. I invite you to stand together. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, we got our response team here who will pray with you. It may not be related to anything I'll talk about. You may just be carrying some burdens today and just need some prayer. we got brothers and sisters here who know the words of prayer, who's willing to pray with you and believe God with you. But if you need prayer for anything, the altar is open. We'll be worshiping. Feel free to come and receive prayer and encouragement from, from our brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.